Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. I've been doing this podcast since September of 2012, and boy, are my lips tired. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And now that we're uh, doing more and more of this on Zoom, um, I have to start changing all of the intros over so that I can play them on Zoom as well as on StreamYard. But Alex Sandy actually is in the studio today. So Alex, <laughs> how are you doing? Good to I'm see good. You. Just wanted to make sure you weren't being left behind here. This is important, <laughs> right? And our friend Dan Mangana won't be here uh, this week, but uh, hopefully he is going to be joining us again next week. So we'll be looking forward to that. But we do have, once again, another special guest joining us today. And he's joining us from north of the border. John Leister is his name. And Hi. this guy, did he did something interesting a few years ago. He decided he wanted to follow a lifelong dream to become an author. And he kind of did it in spades because he tells us that he has written almost 50 books it's in that time. It's actually close to 70. 70. Oh, like, yeah. you know, we're not bragging That's here. Right. You know, I don't want to split hairs, but just for the record. <laughs> just for the record. So that was probably before he wrote his bio. I mean, um, holy crap. That is you. an amazing, amazing accomplishment. I, well, I, I don't know if you one good. book. I like them. I'm biased. <laughs> I'm my own biggest fan. Well, that's good. That's important. You got to have a one. Yeah. So anyway, thanks for joining us on the program. Tell us a little bit about the story. Tell tell us more about how you how you decided to write seventy books. For goodness sake. Okay. Well, I mean, I'll try not to filibuster too much, but um, (laughs) I've always felt that I was meant to do something creative with my life. I've always had an artsy spirit. I grew up a huge comic book. And that was back in the day when it was kind of stigmatized and I always felt like there was something kind of weird about the fact that I wasn't, wasn't into sports. I got nothing against sports. I think sports are great. I just was never emotionally invested in them, but I was invested in, you know, the latest adventures of Spider-Man. And so I thought I wanted to be a comic book artist. And unfortunately I got lazy after a few years. I didn't stick with it. And then I tried acting for a couple of years. I was an extra in Rocky four, believe it or not. The big fight at the end was shot. Yeah. So I got to see the fight. Stallone and uh, Dolph Lundgren and the whole cast. And that was a great experience. And I don't know if you remember a show called The Big Valley from the late 1960s. I do, do you yes. Oh, yes. Okay, so one of, one of the stars of that show, Peter Breck, who played Nick Barkley, he right. came to Vancouver and he started an acting school called the Breck Academy. So wow. I studied acting with him for a couple of years, which was a wonderful experience. And I got to, I don't mean to name drop, but I got to meet uh, Gene Hackman. He came to the studio and uh, Richard Dreyfus came to the studio when he was filming Stakeout with Emilio Estevez back in the day. And those were wonderful experiences. But unfortunately, I don't anybody out because this is, I, as we talked about in the pre-interview, I developed psoriasis. I've always had very dry skin. I've always, and I think part of it is hereditary, part of it is stress and uh, maybe overthinking uh, in life kind of. And so my skin just got to be so uh, flaky like my personality in some ways, I guess, and <laughs> some people might say. And um, so that kind of put the kibosh on my I dreams of being an actor because I, I had an agent and I was going to auditions. I mean, I was going for it. I was going to classes and scene study and monologues, and I was even doing some writing. I was even writing my own monologues for my auditions. But um, I just met the chip on my shoulder with regards to my skin just got the best of me. And so I gave up on acting. And every few years, I've made these sort of half-hearted, sporadic, you know, back on a candy bar wrapper, back on a piece of box, scribbling down some ideas for for stories. And I would show them to people. And the feedback I got was lukewarm at best, not very encouraging. And, of course, anybody out there who's creative, we're all very susceptible 
to criticism. And again, it's, as we talked about in the pre-interview, it's very easy to go into the sort of the fight or flight mentality of life, which is not a good way to go through life. It's, you know, it's better to just sort of muddle through and do the best you can. And so in any event, about three years ago, I had, and I don't mean to be pushy or preachy about this stuff, I'm just sharing my experience. I had what I believe to be a divine experience, which is that I reached out to God. Now, if you're an atheist or an agnostic, that's fine. Different strokes for different folks, whatever works for you. But I realized I had to accept a truth about myself, which is I think that I, and I think a lot of people tend to try a little bit harder. We tend to be a little truer to to our the ultimate versions of ourselves if there's someone who loves us that's watching us. It's kind of like, imagine you're playing little league at school and maybe you're having kind of an off day and then suddenly your dad shows up and you might try a little bit harder. Right. And so that's kind of how I define my relationship with God. Now, if I'm crazy and if it turns out that I'm wrong and if it turns out that when, if it turns out that the atheists of the world are right and that when I die, it's just, it's just like being asleep without dreaming, you know, I could care less. Having God in my life works for me. God is the reason that I'm a, I'm a guest on your podcast right now, because I actually have something to talk about. I have these books. And so in any event, shortly after I, I, I reached out to God and asked him to help me, I dusted off this huge pile of short stories that I'd written around 2005. Now, here he goes, plugging his product, shamelessly plugging his product. My <laughs> hack, don't, don't worry, we have lots of shameless plugs going on here all the time. It's not a big deal. I appreciate it's perfectly that. fine. <laughs> so I dusted off these shorts. I'm a security guard. I've been a security guard for 35 years, believe it or not. And I was working at this one site where I was just terribly bored and understimulated. And I, I, I like to read too, but I wrote, I, I just sort of popped off these, these five to 10 page sort of bite-sized short stories about a guy named Lee Hacklin who lives in the 1970s and he's a private eye and he's a hero and he's a smoker and he's a drinker and he's a skirt chaser and he's a man's man, but he's got a heart of gold like me. Or so I like to think anyway. And I dusted these stories off and I read them and I thought, gosh, almighty, if somebody else had had written these, because I barely remembered writing a lot of them. This was about three years ago. I know I would like them. Huh? There's this thing called the internet. There's Amazon. The clock is ticking. What am I doing twiddling my thumbs? It's not too late. And that's basically another way I define my relationship with God. He basically reminds me on a daily basis that, you know, it's not too late. Never mind that you're 53. You know, you still have a couple of wits about you if you had ever had any to start with. And so in any event, I posted that first book. And it was a real uphill battle for me because I'm not a tech savvy guy. I was alive at a time when none of this stuff existed. (laughs) <laughs> and, and Amazon kept refusing my banking information. I kept going in circles and then I go to the bank and they say, no, it's the right information. If I didn't have God in my life, now I'm just speaking for myself. If I didn't have God in my life, I would have given up after two, three tries because that's just sort of been my late motif of life. Not so much if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, more like try something once or twice. And I guess it's just not meant to be, which is not how successful people think. Successful people fail and fail over and over and over again until they, until they get there. And if they don't get there, then at least they're on the right path, which is where I feel that I am right now. At least I'm, I'm on the track that I was always meant to be on. So I cobbled these stories together and it became my first book, The Collected Cases of Lee Hackland, 1970s Private Investigator, book one. Hang on a second while I get my breath. Have you guys <laughs> seen the movie uh, Billy Elliot? Sorry, just not. Have you oh, seen yes. that movie? Okay. Oh, so yes. do you remember when Billy, do you remember when Billy's dad took him to the ballet school, the yep. very prestigious ballet school? And the auditioners asked him, how do you feel when you dance, Billy? And he thinks about it for a minute and he says, well, I, I feel like electricity. And that's how I felt when I posted that first book. Never mind winning the lottery. You know, never mind all the dumb things in life that we can get excited about. I, I said, you know, gosh, I could die today. I'm sure glad that I didn't. I could have a heart attack. I could get hit by a car. If that happens, at least I left something behind beyond an incident report for an unlocked door. 
something that for me, you know, I didn't invent the internet. I didn't cure a disease. I didn't design a, a building, a, a library or a hospital, but I started something that required a little bit of effort and commitment and self-belief and actually crossed the finish line. Like actually, I don't mean to be vulgar. Is this a family friendly show? But actually got it up, so to speak. And so it's become an addiction since then. And um, now I'm using draft to digital, which, we, again, we talked about on the pre-interview. And I've got about 70 of these things now. And I'm just going to keep cranking them out until my corporeal existence ends. And I have it in my mind's eye. And I'm friends with a lot of writers on Facebook. And we share each other's stuff. And we critique each other's stuff. And I have it in my mind's eye that someday I'm going to meet my Alan Ladd Jr. And he's the executive at Fox who greenlit Star Wars. And this is another thing that I tell aspiring writers like myself or people who are just starting off. You know, write because you enjoy writing. You just just do it. Never mind what the what the outcome is or whether it makes you any money or if other people think that it's total garbage. When George Lucas was trying to pitch Star Wars back in, what, 1974, every people who were very smart and educated and very successful, they were all telling, oh, George, nobody wants to see your silly little space movie. These movies are done. You know, it's all about the antihero and the gutter and. And, you know, reality and, uh, you know, naturalism, the naturalistic kind of romantic stories are dead. You know, they've been demoted to television. But George, God bless him, he stuck to his guns. And he finally and that's and that's such an important life lesson, I think. And maybe I'm stating the obvious. I hope I'm not insulting anybody's intelligence. But sometimes you just have to connect with that one person who believes in whatever it is that you're that you're trying to create and that, that will unlock that door for you. And And lo and behold. There, there are, turns out that there are millions of people around the world that wanted to see that movie. And so anyway, I'm just, I'm just. But, but, but but all, you made like four or five different really good points here. I mean, you, you talked about the importance of loving what you do and doing it because you love it. That's why I I do the podcast. That's exactly why I started the podcast. It's why I continue to do it. It's why I continue to have, I've done 1600 episodes all because I just loved it. That's awesome. Not because I'm getting paid, because I'm really not getting paid. Not because, right. you know, it, it's, it's doing some wonderful thing for my life. Just, I love it. And that's yeah. what does the, the wonderful thing for my life. Yeah. I mean, the, whole, the whole thing about the acting, when you were talking about the acting, I, I know Alex can identify with this. She's been on similar paths herself. I mean, right, Alex, I mean, you, you pursue this thing. You, you pursue what you love. You take it as far as your love can go. And then you go to the next thing you love, right? Yep. Right. Exactly. You know, every, every time I open my note, I mean, I'm at a point in my life now. Or I, I don't think I'm going to bed without knowing that I at least written a couple of single space pages in my dollar store duo tank would be akin to going to bed without brushing my brushing and flossing my teeth. <laughs> and that's another important life lesson, I think, too. Sometimes the hardest part, and certainly this has been the case for myself, but I know I'm not the only one. Sometimes we're in a perpetual state of ready, set. But we never quite get to go. And then when we do get to go, it, it's, it's, you know, because as I said, over the years, I've made these sort of half-hearted sporadic attempts at writing. It's easy to fall back to whatever your comfort zone is. Right. And for me, my comfort zone was just plonking my – I used to be very overweight. I used to weigh 250 pounds. Wow. And so for me – and now I'm about 170. I'm still a little – still got a little lab around. <laughs> yeah, bless oh, bless you. me, my dear. My goodness. Okay. So <laughs> – so I used to be very overweight because I was content to just plonk myself down on my ratty couch after work with my with my five DVDs that I got at the video store back in the day and just watch all the special features. And, and what am I going to have for dinner tonight? Am I going to have pizza or KFC? And and every once in a while, I would have a moment of clarity. And it's like, hey, you know, I know that I can do better than this. And I would make some steps 
for it, you know, maybe I would join a gym or I did kickboxing for a couple of years or I tried to write something. But it was always for me a case of one step forward, two steps back. It wasn't until I reached out to God that I felt like finally I, I got myself off that treadmill. I've been on a treadmill for 35 years. What, what about I, that? What about that experience? So that's, let's talk about that for a second. Because sure. I think it's important. I mean, okay. people, people who uh, listen to the show have varying spiritual beliefs. I think most have some sure. belief that there's something beyond just the physicality yeah. of this life. And, and we talk about that quite a bit, but, oh, good. but for each individual, there's something, there, there, there's some like, magic point there, there there's a turning point there's a tipping point yeah. well, where, they, where they where they start to decide this is actually making a difference for me and that's yeah. what happened to you with your god experience what was that yeah. tipping point okay excellent question very insightful question so what precipitated my leap of faith was loneliness mm. i was spending again i don't mean ah, there he is playing the world's smallest violin i was spending way too much time by myself and of course, as someone said, I think it was Paul Thoreau, no man is an island. None of us are islands. We're social creatures. I mean, we have to be by ourselves sometimes to do, to get in certain activities done. Like, for example, write a novel. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it is certain, you know, prisoners, I've read prisoners will do anything to stay out of solitary. They, they, they just, they can't stand it. They, even sure. in, 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 in penitentiaries, they, they, we are social creatures. And so I realized that I was spending too much time by myself and that, and that, I needed to express certain things that, that I had sort of kept bottled up for many years. Even when I was in therapy, I was in therapy for a year because I got into an, an argument with my girlfriend one day over some ridiculously trivial thing. And she said to me, John, I'm not your dad. And I realized that, and, and it was one of the most insightful things that anyone ever said to me. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I knew that I'd been doing this for a long time now, but I realized that I had a tendency to superimpose my dad over people in general, which is a lousy way to go through life. Because if you go through life thinking that people are mean and bullying and, and not to be trusted, and, and you should be a little wary and skittish all the time in your mind's eye, you're never going to have great relationships with people. So the, I, unfortunately, I, I cooked up with a really amazing therapist. And so, and, and I read a ton of self-help books. Tony Robbins and, and, and all of that stuff benefited me up to a point. But what precipitated my leap of faith again was just loneliness. And once I started letting all of this stuff out very quickly over a period of perhaps days, because I started doing this every day after work, I, I felt a sense of decompression. I felt a sense of self acceptance and self love. And it's like, wait a second. I know that I can do this. I'm not. I mean, if people were to say, John, you're lazy. I mean, I, there, there are a lot of things that, that could prove that point. But what is a lazy person? A lazy person, and my, my brother actually helped me understand this. A lazy person is someone who's easily overwhelmed by life. You look at babies. I mean, I'm not mm. a dad. I'd still like to be a dad someday. I have a girlfriend. She lives in Adelaide, Australia. Hi, Nikki. You look at babies. They're most ambitious creatures in the world. They all want to walk, right? True. Even every baby, every baby said relentlessly determined to get on their feet and they fall and they get up and they fall and they get up. So what happens? You know, why, why does one 25 year old is, is a university graduate and running his own business and he's got five cars and great and great life, great career, great health relationships. And the other 25 year old, all he wants to do is lie on the couch and play video games all day, right? When they were little babies, they were exactly the same. They had that same feverish passion, at least, at least to walk, at least to take those steps. And I think what happens again, some of us, 
some of us are a little stronger than others. Some of us, uh, 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 you know, we just, we, we find our little comfort zones. We find our little niches and, and we're happy to be there. You know, when I was a boy and I came home from school that I, I, the first thing I wanted to do was just dive into my comic books. And I think I, this is the world that I want to live in. I want to live in a world where the heroes and villains are clearly defined. I don't want to live in this world of shades of gray and everything's muddy. And, and, and on the other hand, what about this? And what about that? Yeah, I, I, I was always very uncomfortable with that. And it always upset me when people made fun of shows like the Brady Bunch or Star Trek, because I thought, well, what are people complaining about? These are idealized people. This is the way people should be. This is like the gold standard. And that's how I felt about superhero comic books, too, and the whole superhero genre. So my relationship with God basically boils down to this. There is this being. And again, this is my opinion. It makes some people Which uncomfortable. I, no, I don't, don't worry about that. We, we, we have. We have all kinds of exposure to ideas I, I here. We're, we're okay. I had, I, I had another podcast you say to me, I can't have you on my show because I'm an atheist. And oh. I thought that's interesting. You just want people on your show who think exactly the same way you do. Okay, mm. that's fine. You know, different strokes for different folks. But for me, my, my relationship with God means that there is this being that I believe in math and science. I like to think that, you know, two plus two equals four. I think that reality is real. But I think God, and I just call him God for want of a better word, is, is this actual being that is the wellspring of everything. And I like to think that God created us because he was lonely. I like to think there was a time before time and space where there was just God. And he just said, you know what? This, this sucks. I, I, you know, I need some entertainment. I'm going to create these, these people. And I, you know what? I'm going to give them like the Matrix. Remember, you remember the first Matrix? Agent sure. Smith said, we gave you guys paradise. So that's what God did, right? He gave us paradise. He gave us a garden Eden. Eden. Well, we, that didn't go so well, did it? Because as it turns out, we really don't want paradise. I think okay. that we want, we want the good things in life, but we, we need our challenges. We need our hills to climb. We, we need that stuff because if we don't have that stuff, we don't have purpose. And, and I would much rather, you know, someone give me money for my creativity than win the lottery. I used to buy lottery tickets all the time. That's another thing. I don't think I've bought a single lottery ticket since I started talking to God. Because for one thing, I just, I mean, look, different strokes are different folks. I feel like it's a waste of money, but I would rather bet on myself. I would rather bet on my creative creativity. And, and, and every time I start writing, it's like three, four pages after an hour. It's like, I know I can do this. I'm following my bliss. If, if 10 years from now, I'm still a security guard, I'm still going to be cranking out these books and I'm still going to be reaching out to nice people like yourself. And again, my, 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 my message to anybody listening to this podcast, for goodness sakes, if it's not, in, I mean, if you have to will yourself to do it, then you probably shouldn't do it. But for me, I don't have to will myself to do it. So, so I was on, I was on another podcast the other day and, and the host said to me, you go, you, you were, you're working really hard. And I'm like, I appreciate the sentiment. That's very nice of you to say, but it's not work for me. It's my bliss. It's my passion. That, that's it, huge. It, that, that's a very important point. When I'm working, I'm on my lunch break, and I go over my lunch break, and I get I get in crap from my supervisor because I'm writing. But but that that's a very important point because what you're really saying is, it's about the passion that you have for what you're doing. Yes. And, and when you have the right passion, the passion that's true to who you are, and what you're about, and what right. really is not just meaningful for you, but but fuels you. Yes. It makes you and want to get up in the morning and say, I want to do more of this. I want to explore this yeah. more. I want to have more of it. That's Now you're on the right track. And it doesn't and matter we, what it is. You're on the right we, track. And when we keep it inside, we suffer. 
We yeah. absolutely do. You know, most men, as I said before, most men and women lead lives of quiet desperation because we're not aligned with our truest selves. And I think that other people pick up on that and it makes them uncomfortable. And again, it, it makes it difficult to forge good, positive relationships with other people because people sense that insecurity about you or about me or the sense of, I'm sure meeting my friends and family over the years thought, gosh, you know, John always talks about writing. You know, he always has these, he's always talking about these ideas for his stories, but he's not doing anything about it. Well, now I am. Better late than never. <laughs> yeah, but you're doing it. That's that's a really a great thing. And, and you Thank can you. see the result on your face. I mean, as we're talking to you, obviously we're doing this uh, on, on Zoom so we can see each other, even though our, our listeners can't see you. But it's so ob- it's obvious. It's evident. I mean, you're just glowing as you're saying all this stuff. So you, you. You, you've tapped into exactly what you wanted to do. But like you said, you did it. You started doing it. And, and, and it fuels itself, right? It just kind of, it, it's Absolutely. a self-fueling mechanism. I mean, and here's another thing. It's also very therapeutic. For example, mm. can I talk about one of my books? Yeah, sure. So, so the book that I'm proudest of, I mean, I'm proud of every book that I've written, but the one that is, that is most autobiographical is called The Treehouse Avengers. And it's about a 10 year old boy named Clint Wagner, who's overweight. He's insecure. He's a comic book nerd, but he's kind of a Charlie Brown. He has a sort of Charlie Brown-esque uh, optimism on the outside. And he's abused at home by his terrible dad. And he's abused at school by these terrible bullies being Pug and Mike. And there's another boy named Billy West who's built, whose father is a carpenter and has built him a treehouse. You know, Billy and his friends, they hang out in the treehouse after school and on weekends and they read comic books and they call themselves the Treehouse Avengers. And Clint desperately wants to be a part of this group. But the other boys are like, they don't want to have anything to do with him because he's Clint. But finally, Billy says, well, you know what? If you commit to these seven tasks, I'll add a seven labors of Hercules. Well, then let you in. So, for example, I don't want to spoil the whole plot, but for example, he has to fart in class while the teacher's talking. <laughs> he has to pull on the bra strap of a girl that he likes at her birthday party. He has to go see an X-rated movie in Times Square. Now, he actually accomplishes. Now, it's intended to be essentially an all-ages book. So, the movie he ends up watching is like a bunch of topless women playing volleyball. It's pretty innocuous. But um, he wears his um, Charlie Chaplin Halloween costume. And the woman who sells him the ticket is an octogenarian. So he gets into the theater and lo and behold, his dad is in the audience. And his dad's been telling him and his mom that he's, he's in this tennis club, that he plays tennis every weekend. Well, actually, he's been watching softball <laughs> porn at Times Square. So and and so finally, when we get to the seventh task, he's got to bring his mom's underwear to school. When he gets to the seventh, seventh task, he's asked to do something that's so repugnant to him. And I don't want to spoil it because it's kind of the, the climax of the story. He, he draws line in the sand. And the theme of the story is really self-acceptance. And so what happens is these bullies, Pug and Mike, they show up and they try to burn the treehouse down. And Clint comes to the rescue. He pours some water in the buckets and he puts the fire out and he gets into a fist fight. And, and during the course of the story, the principal of the school, who's a really good man uh, named John, John Brow, takes Clint under his wing. And it's a bit like Karate Kid. He teaches him how to box. So he winds up in a fist fight with these two bullies at the end. And of course, Clint wins. All my stories have happy endings. You know, my stories are basically, they're, they're, I like to think that they're uplifting. I don't know if they're good, but they're uplifting. And so after all this, Billy says, you know, you're in, you're a Trios Avenger. And Clint's like, I don't want to be a Trios Avenger anymore. I just want to be Clint Wagner. Right. So the story picks up in present day and it's sort of a parallel universe version of how my life could have gone if I just believed in myself as a boy as much as I do now. And it's present day and Clint's married or yeah, he's married and he's got kids and he's watching a YouTube video on how to build a treehouse. And that's the Treehouse Avengers. Alex, I got to ask you, does that sound like that could be the basis for a comic book style film, like a Marvel film or something like that? Um, It is. 
Yeah, I am. I mean, I, I've tried to reach out to, to comic book artists to do graphic novel, and I'm, I'm going to continue to do that. That one is fairly standalone. There is a little Easter egg in that one where Clint's uh, stepfather uh, tries to find him, and he hires a private detective. And, of course, it's Lee Hacklin, who is another character who is in his own series. So all of all of my stories, except for my Morning Stars Night trilogy, exist in what I, what I call the Johnnyverse, which is sort of my version of the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay, because I was going to say Clint is an Avenger, <laughs> but doesn't want to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he thinks that he does for the first ninety uh, percent of the story, but the, really, like yeah. I said, the theme of the story is self-acceptance. Yeah, yeah. And not being so much a part of the group, just accepting yourself, and you know, starting your own group and being being the being a leader as opposed to a follower. Yeah, that's the whole premise of um, Hawkeye. Have you seen the the? No. I'm okay. a, I mean, I'm a huge fan of those movies, but I have not seen any of those TV shows. I just okay. haven't had time. Yeah. The last TV show I saw was Cobra Kai. I watched the first two seasons of Cobra Kai. It was well, fantastic. it makes sense. I mean, you're writing 70 novels. When are you going to have time to watch television? Every every time, you know, I'm a huge, I, I, I saw Spider-Man No Way Home and loved it. But the whole time I was watching the movie, my my, my notebook was burning a hole. In my <laughs> <laughs> I'd written five pages that day. And I was thinking, instead of watching the stupid movie, you know, it was great. You know, I love it. It was great. But I just like, gosh, I'm, you know, I've seen, I feel like I've seen enough of these. It's just so much more satisfying to create than to passively watch. And I don't mean to be a snob about it. I'm not saying all that. I mean, I'm going to see the new Doctor Strange. I'm definitely going to see that. But I'll probably feel guilty while I'm watching. Well, there's, there's an important point here, though. There's a really important point. And that is when we find something we love, we really don't have to apologize for it because yeah. it's what we love. Yeah. It's, not, it's not like there are certain things you should like or other things you shouldn't like. It's what do you like? And yeah. you've discovered what you like and you pursue that. That's great. That's not something mm-hmm. to be ashamed of. That's something to be proud mm-hmm. of. That's good. No, I feel really good about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Thanks. I mean, I mean Alex, what, what, let me go to you on this because we were talking last week. We had a, um, we had a fabulously fun time last week mm-hmm. with uh, a guy who's a, a, a former male exotic dancer. And I, I got to tell you, John, between Alex and our guest, I mean, they were rationing up the humor level to the point where it was off the scale. <laughs> but besides all that, we, uh, one of the things that they were both talking about, Alex has a background where she was a stand-up comedian for a while. Oh, wow. And, I actually tried that. I tried stand-up comedy and discovered okay. that I hated it. I could get up. I could be a motivational speaker like Tony Robbins. I could mm-hmm. absolutely do that. I could get up on a stage in front of 10,000 people and share my life story like I'm doing with you nice people right now. But I found that doing the open mic, I tried it four times. There's a bar near my place that has open mic. And I found that the pressure of trying to be funny all the time, all these faces looking at you while you're on stage and they, they expect you to, I, I just, it wasn't not a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. Just work the hook. Get the hook. Drag me off stage. You can't stage fast enough. Throw a tomato at me. It's fine. <laughs> but, but, but Alex, I mean, when you were doing this, now you didn't do it for an extended period of time, but you were doing it for a while. And when you were doing I tried, it, you, I tried it doing, four times. You tried it four times. Okay. But I was talking to Alex. I was asking Alex for a second here because Alex was the one who had also tried it. And Alex, you were doing it for an extended period of time. But mm-hmm. while you were doing it, you were doing it with the same kind of passion he's been talking about for like the last 30 minutes. I mean, you just got yourself into it, right? Right. Yeah. I was and just like, you, yeah. why not? Everybody was like, well, you're you're funny when you tell stories. So why don't you try it? And, I, and then somebody offered me an opportunity and I tried it and I liked it. So I did it for the next, what, five, six years? Oh, it oh, was wow. that long. Okay. Yeah. Good for you. What, what made you decide that you were done? Um, agoraphobia. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That kind of shut everything down. <laughs> so you're not doing it anymore? No, not currently, no. Okay. Are you writing, do you write jokes for other people? No. Okay. She, she comes down to LOA today and she makes us all laugh. That's yeah. what she really does. <laughs> she just comes on here and just, you know, livens the whole atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously. Like when, when, when she and Dan get going on Thursdays, Dan's also uh, a Thursday co-host. And when the two of them get going, I, I've said this many times, I just kind of sit back. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no, there's really not a point in me trying to get a word in edgewise because the no two sense. of them just start building the thing up. And by the time I'm done, like, I'm just falling on the floor with laughter. There you so, go. Yeah. The, the Greek chorus. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's why he had to stop trying to come up with names for Thursday's episodes. He's, I it was know. crazy. I, I was like, I'm done. It. <laughs> it's Thursday. That's the it's Thursday. That's all it is. It's the Thursday show. It's Alex and Dan and Walt Simpson. <laughs> so, well, okay. So this is cool. So we're getting a really good sense of, of you know, where you, you've come from and what you've been going through. Where are you going next, though? I mean, after 70 novels, what comes next? Well, the book that I'm working on right now is called uh, Lee Hacklin, 1970s Private Investigator in Buckingham Malice. And um, I've, I like, I've, I found that I prefer writing Lee as a younger man. Now, I wrote one set in the 90s called Judgment Days, which is about a serial killer of judges. And in that one, spoiler warning, uh, Lee is married and he has a son. And he's actually made a transition from private detective to comic book artist because that was his dream as a boy, too. He's very much uh, my avatar in many ways. Right. And But I found that writing that book, well, he's married and he's got a kid. You know, he's got to be a little bit more responsible. You know, maybe he doesn't smoke so much or drink so much or, you know, he's he's coming home after work kind of thing. And I just found him to be a little bit not so interesting. So I, I went back to the 1970s. And in um, Completely Concerned with Sex, where he's uh, uh, hired by a, um, the, a guy who runs a, a film studio that produces X-rated movies that's beset by a, an activist group called ARG, which is Americans Rallying Against Gross Heresy, which is run by Lee's mother, of all things. Um, <laughs> that was a fun well, that, That's ironic. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He... Um, he uh, hooks up with a British uh, uh, detective sergeant from New Scotland Yard named Felicity Waring. And I kind of based her on Emma Peel from the old Avengers TV series. Oh, and I really man. fell in love with his character. And so I thought, you know, it'd be really fun to get Lee out of New York City and get him try to go international. And that would force me. One thing that I'm really lazy about is, is research. You know, and I don't, some people ask me about my quote unquote writing process. I just open my notebook and I start writing. I just, I just start writing and I have a, a general idea. And, and it's like, I don't know anything about jazz music, but my hallucination is that there's an improvisational quality to it. And that's how I write. It's sort of like, like the stream of consciousness. So I'm about not, 16. Not far from the truth, by the way. I, I have a musical background and that is literally what you do in jazz. Oh, okay. you, you're, you're just, just streaming. You're just fall by my foot. Yeah. Okay. No, you're on. That's it. Yeah, so I, I really wanted to see Felicity again. So I had her get shot, and uh, it's very sad. She's lost her baby, and her husband was murdered. And so she calls Jesus. Lee and's like, I really need to see you. And so Lee goes off with her her uncle, Winston Waring, who's an NYPD uh, police lieutenant, and he's a recurring character. And he's a very uh, nationalistic, uh, sort of anti-American, you know, kind of wishes the American Revolution had gone the other way, but lives in New York no. City, ironically. And he and Lee have a, a a very um almost like a Spock and McCoy. Do you like Star Trek? 
Oh God! Oh, I, okay. I I I watched it when it first came out. So yeah, yeah. So I, I remember watching. That. I remember when Kirk became a woman, and I remember watching that Turnabout Intruder. I remember watching that episode in 1969. I was four years old. So I love writing uh, character dynamics. I you know Cyclops and Wolverine. I love that they have to work together, but they don't like each other. I, I really, for some reason, I find those relationships very appealing. And so Lee and, and Winston have a, they, they banter and bicker a lot. They're like, they're like an old married couple. But when they're in action together, they're, they're a great team. You know, they're, they're, they're a couple of badass, but they couldn't have different. So I, so I have a lot of scenes of them together. And, um, and that's the one that I'm working on right now, Buckingham Alice. Oh, sorry, I just spat. And that's then my right. next, my next, um, <laughs> Urban Tiger is called, um, oh, I forgot right now. So anyway, I have another series. Called um, Urban. Have you seen Kick Ass? Have you seen that movie? No. I have, have you seen it, Alex? Which uh, is amazing, by the way, because she, she's like a TV expert. Oh, it is. Kick okay, so, so you know it. Who wants to be I know of it, but yeah. Know of it. Okay. So I, I remember when the Kick Ass comic book was out on the shelves of my local comic book store, and it really broke my heart because I'd had this idea for a character called the Urban Tiger, which is you know how superheroes always have these very dramatic motivations for doing what they do you know putting i'm going to put on a mask in a cape and i'm going to fight crime because my parents were murdered or because i was sent are you still there yeah. <laughs> okay yeah, still I just, uh, the image kind of froze so i just wondered if maybe there's a connection issue but um i thought wouldn't it be fun to tell a story about a boy who just does it for kicks you know he's a comic book fan and he thinks you know nobody's done this before so i'm going to do it so i bought the kick-ass comic book and i read it and i thought you know what and after I'd, I'd actually introduced the Lee Hack, I actually introduced the Urban Tiger character in one of my Lee Hackland stories where Lee's chasing after a mugger and this 15 year old kid comes out of nowhere and he's wearing a mask and he, and he tackles the mugger and Lee takes him to a McDonald's and buys him a hamburger and tries to talk him out of doing what he's doing. It's like, Hey kids, stay home, do your homework, you know, brush your teeth. Don't, don't, don't get yourself killed. But of course, Tommy's, you know, determined to do this. So in my urban, my urban tiger series, um, I also have another series. I'm sorry, I'm sort of floundering all over the place here. My, I have another series called Urban Tiger and Lee Hackland Team Up, where they I've actually written five or six books, kind of like Brave and the Bold or Marvel Team Up, where they they join forces. And I really enjoy writing those two characters because they have a nice little big brother, a little brother, a relationship. And I discovered recently that Tommy's girlfriend, Vari, has a crush on Lee. And that's another thing about writing a series. I don't know how the writers of The Simpsons do it. I mean, The Simpsons has been on for, what, 30 seasons now, 25, 30 seasons mm-hmm. So I think it's a real it's a real challenge to discover new things about your characters. So when I discovered that Tommy's girlfriend, who's this hot Russian baby named Varvara Fedorov, when I discovered that she had a crush on Lee, I was like, oh, this opens up like a whole another avenue to explore because Lee has no interest in this girl other than like she's objectively very beautiful, but she's it's not age appropriate, and she's Tommy's girlfriend. And Lee loves Tommy like he's like he's a little brother. But in Tommy's mind, he's just like because he looks at Lee as the epitome of masculinity. And and anyway, so again, it's just when you when you write, you're always discovering something new. And that's the joy of writing. And it's a great metaphor for life. You never know what you're going to discover about whatever it is you want to do with your life until you actually do it. If you just think about it, you'll never make that discovery. This is interesting because what we're really seeing is your creative process as you're talking. No, it's thank very, you. it's it's very evident. How I don't know you, your if mind works. A, a lick of sense, but <laughs> 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 well, take it for what it's worth. 
it, it, it makes sense to you and, be, and, and it does come through that there's a thread that, that passes through all of it. So yeah, it does make sense. But what's really interesting is, is, is like watching a mind at work. That's the mm-hmm. way you describe, you know, you know, your experiences and, and the stuff that you've written and the Thank stuff you. that's been important to you. But it also illustrates how you, I, I can actually see how your writing process would work. Your, for you, probably the biggest challenge is, can I get it all out? There is so much going on in my head. That's, how that's can I take all point. this, turn it into stories that actually make sense, that actually string together and yeah. hold together as a package? That, that seems to be like the biggest challenge for you. Well, you know, I, I, I never really get writer's block per se, but sometimes it takes a while for the engine to warm up. Like sometimes mm. I'll be sitting at home and my notebook's sitting on my lap and like 15 minutes later, I'm still looking at a blank page. And so I had an English teacher uh, in high school, Mr. Henderson, God bless his soul. He had us do, did you ever hear of an exercise called speed writing? Oh, yeah. well, what it is, is your, your teacher will write, you know, I was walking home from school, ellipses, dot, dot, dot. And then mm. he had a stopwatch and you had to write nonstop. For five minutes and of course many of us came up with some really wild scenarios and it's it's almost like it's it's no different from weightlifting or or learning how to play the guitar it's like mm-hmm. anything else in life you, you just get started and you keep doing it and you get better at it you you if you do one push-up today you can do two push-ups tomorrow that's how life works you just do it every day you enjoy the journey i like to think that i'm a better writer now than I was uh, certainly 20, 30 years ago. Um, I think that I have a pretty good idea. I have a good aesthetic quality for what makes a good story. I, I mean, I don't mean to pat myself on the back too much, but I, my characters all have really distinct personalities. And I mean, I grew up reading not just Marvel comic books. I, I read, you know, Peanuts and uh, uh, Archie. And there's a reason why those characters continue to have a resonance with, with each new generation because they're so relatable. We all know a kid like Charlie Brown or we, we see ourselves in Charlie Brown, you know, and you look at the original Star Wars. And for me, the original Star Wars is still the best one. Those three characters, Luke, Han and Leia, the, you know, I remember when I was a kid, so many people back in 1977, so many people said, I don't like science fiction. I don't like fantasy, but I liked that movie. Mm-hmm. They didn't like it because of the special effects and the music. They liked it because Luke, Han and Leia were such recognizable human it's beings. True. Very and true. so I like to think that that's my strength as a writer. And then I just put them through one hellacious hardship after another. Uh, I've done, and, and, and I feel, I feel stressed sometimes. Like once one character I have Mark Dixon, I almost put him in a wheelchair. I had him shot and said, well, the next one is going to be paralyzed from the waist down. And I couldn't do it because it broke my heart to do it. Because I, I love the guy. I, I love my characters. I, you know, it's like this universe that exists and I'm God. And I think all writers feel that way. And it, we also feel like, I think a lot of writers are damaged goods. I think that a lot of writers were bullied when they were kids. Certainly, I was, I was a gentle giant. I was like the biggest kid in class a lot of times. I was not the stereotypical little skinny guy that got picked on by the big bullies. It was more, more, most of the kids that bullied me were a lot smaller than me. I just wanted to get along with everybody. And so it was a very attractive target for bullies. So I think that writers, what many of us are doing is we're creating these worlds that, that we wish it's a wish fulfillment. We wish that these worlds, we, you know, it's like the real world, but just skewed slightly in a direction that makes more sense to us. I mean, that's what Gene Roddenberry did when he created Star Trek, right? Yep. This is how the world should be. This is how people, this is how I think people should 
Yeah, it was idealized. It was an idealized exactly. uh, presentation it, of, it, of, it, of. It doesn't have to be realistic. Yeah. It's, the, it's the standard. It's like God. We can never be God-like, but we can look at God or, or Superman or, or or whoever, Martin Luther King Jr., whoever it is that you look up to. And this is another important lesson, I think, for young people. If you grew up in a very abusive environment, as I did, and again, I'm not sucking up for sympathy. I'm just sharing my story. If you you have to look around and you have to find people who who present themselves to you as good role models and and then move towards that because if you get it's so easy to get sucked into the negativity there's a philosopher named Stuart Wilde I don't know if you know who that is he was sort of a, a motivational speaker stand up comic he talked about how he's a really funny guy you can walk into a supermarket and you're in a really great mood. You know, you're going to cook a nice dinner for your family. And then by the time you get to your car or you're done grocery shopping, you're, you're, you're just miserable. You're cranky as hell and you don't even know why. Right. So what happened? What happened was that you absorbed all the negative feelings of, of all the other people in the supermarket. And we and we do that. And I think and I know and you're not, I'm glad that you're nodding your head because for a long time I thought I was the only one. It turns out that I'm not. <laughs> no, but, you're not. There's a whole bunch it, of us. <laughs> for those of us, I think it's human nature to a large degree. So I think God made us this way. And so what we have to do is we have to will ourselves. It's almost like you have to walk, go through life like a force field around the enterprise. You have mm-hmm. to and you let you you open the gaps, right, for the positivity, like positive people like yourself who are smiling, who are following their bliss who are creating, who are not just twiddling their thumbs and, you know, second get being a critic, you know, criticizing what everybody else is doing. Right. And you know what? I'm writing on fumes now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, actually, let, let me interrupt here for a second, because there's a theme okay. I want to pursue here. Um, cause Alex is, she's like our, our TV expert in residence. TV okay. Movies. Cause I, I have a question that's going to, that's going to bring it all together. Okay. But go, go, on. Go, so go. there we go. Okay. I'm, I'm psyched. Oh, so, me now? Okay. So. Uh, well, I, I was going to actually tie into you being the expert, and I want to know what your perspective is. Okay, but you, good, if you go. got the question, then go for it. You know? No, no, it's going to work out perfect. You go first. Okay, all right. All right. So what I was going to say is she, she, she's like, she has a, a group on Facebook. She's constantly oh. you know, keeping track of what all the latest storylines are of all the major series and all that oh, kind of you. stuff. I mean, like she's on top of all this stuff. So what I wanted to ask you, Alex, is you are somebody who like is touching the pulse of of tv nation so to speak so when you hear what john's talking about where do you see the similarities to the kinds of things you you like to watch a lot and where do you see the differences i'm interested in this so i i see major similarities with not so much what he's writing how he's writing it so if uh it's ironic because i don't know if you've ever seen supernatural no but my girlfriend uh, nicola lives in adelaide australia she has a supernatural uh, quilt. She has a quilt with Jensen. <laughs> All the good fans she, do. <laughs> I think the only reason she's my girlfriend is because Supernatural was shot in Vancouver. And, yeah, and, I was going to say that, but okay. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> she it. No, she's a Supernatural fanatic. She just well, then she's cool with me. I watched, I watched the very first episode, mm-hmm. and, and for me, it was too much of a rehash of X-Files. I just kind of felt like I've seen this before. Yeah, I know. I know it's the greatest show ever. I, I just, it just didn't really. I just couldn't. Gl- I'm sure it's a great show, but I just couldn't glom onto it. But you well, know, a lot of those shows are, you know, Arrow and Supergirl and The Flash. All those shows are shot in Vancouver. Yeah, I know. She, she does all this stuff. Let me tell you, she's like the expert. He was very. Well, nice. what I was gonna say was about Supernatural is that there's there's a character in it, and he he plays God. And oh, nice. basically, so the whole, the whole 15 years of Supernatural has been 
his story that he was writing. Oh. So he he plays God, but he's at, he's actually the writer, and, and the main characters are his main characters. So wow. the way you describe the way that you feel like you're God, and these are yeah. your characters, it's it's the whole the whole entire point of Supernatural. It's great. Yeah. But yeah, yeah great and also that it's shot in Vancouver. So <laughs> yeah, nice. So but there, as far as one. what you're writing, um. The only the only similarities I would see I would see is is of the uh, the superhero genre mm. is where I see most of, most of the similarities. Yeah, so which like makes sense because that's exactly what you're what you're focusing on. You've been creating superheroes deliberately. I think I think my stories are a little more old school though. I, I don't want to deal with the snowflake culture. I don't want to deal with political correctness. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to deal with technology. I, I, I wrote a, I wrote a trilogy called Morning Stars Night, which is set in present day. And I just, I just found every time I wrote, he looked at his cell phone or he went online. It's like, Oh, I don't want to go there. Do you remember in the nineties? There were so many action movies like Tom Cruise is trying to decrypt the code. I, you know, I just, I just don't want to deal with it. <laughs> and I, I like, I like to, re- I like, he's trying to, he's trying to find the password for 15 minutes. Go get popcorn. Go have a <laughs> the password is written on the back of the computer. Okay. Just get on with it. It always get, is. Get, get to the gunfire. Get to the, to the action. So, um, what the hell was I trying to say now? I lost my train of thought, if I had one to start with. Well, that's all right. <laughs> so, so we'll, we'll just go like, to the next point. My, my stories are old school in the sense that my villains, my antagonists, are essentially irredeemable. And I feel like that in a lot of, and I don't want to get on my high horse, you know, there's old man Johnny getting on his high horse. I feel like a lot of popular culture today, they, they don't really want to create villains that enjoy inflicting harm on other people for the sake of doing it. I saw Dirty Harry recently on the big screen. It was released in theaters in Vancouver for one week for some reason. I don't know, the 60th anniversary or something. It's, it's great. Oh, it's, 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 it's an amazing movie. But there's a scene where the DA says to Harry, well, how do you know the killer's going to kill again? And Harry's like, because he likes it. And th- you know, that's, <laughs> that's right. You know, ne- never mind all the, all the, the reasons and the backstory and the abuse and this and that. There, there are people, and this, some, this is a topic that makes pe- some people uncomfortable, but that's essentially how I define evil. And so my characters who are causing harm to other people because they enjoy it, because it gives them a feeling of power, they all get their comeuppance courtesy of my heroes and whether it's Lee or Tommy and I find that to be extremely therapeutic and that's kind of the world that I want to live in now I want to live in a world of laws and 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 government we have to have some government I don't want to get into politics really but I find the idea of a hero who is willing to step outside of the boundaries that that most of us uh, live within and to take the risk of going to prison to take the risk of being arrested for, for not, you know, following the, 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 le- the spirit of the law or the spirit of the law to quote unquote, do the right thing. I find that very appealing. A hero isn't someone who obeys the rules. A hero is someone who breaks the rules when everybody else wants to, but they're afraid to. That's my opinion. You, you, you said something here that I'm going to tie in and it's going to freak Alex out because she's going to be Uh-oh. amazed that here's, here's another modern show I've actually watched. But Wait, I'm th- waiting th- for it. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> the modern show. This is the Benedict Cumberbatch version of Sherlock Holmes. Oh, my girlfriend loves him too. Who doesn't and, love Benedict? And, yeah. and there was an episode. I don't remember what the name of the episode was, but there was an episode where they literally had a, a, a bad guy who was exactly what you just described. Oh, and nice. he said like during the episode, he said, 
I'm not like anybody else you've ever deal with, dealt with. I commit these crimes because I like to. It okay, was well, almost exactly word for word for what you're saying here. That's mm-hmm. kind of what my what is reflecting my stories. Was it Sherlock? Yeah, well, yeah, that's the series. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I watched a few of those. Yeah, but that, yeah, I mean, that was uh, and they were treating it like it was new. I mean, you, obviously, you've been thinking about this for quite some time, but they were treating it like that had never been done before. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, that's it's, how antiheroes are created. That's right. I, I find that the writers very often try to make their villains sympathetic, and I think that once you do that, they're no longer a villain. You know, like I said, I saw Spider-Man No Way Home recently. Have you have you seen that movie? Yes. The new Spider-Man? <laughs> I've seen hey. all and everything. Um, I thought it was fantastic. But the message of that movie, and spoiler warning for people who haven't seen it, but the message of that movie is, hey, you just give a bad person the right drug and they'll be right as rain. But yeah. there are no villains in that movie, right? And so as, as a... as it's to me that is not. I would rather have a villain like Scorpio from Dirty Harry, who is just someone who needs to be taken out, and that's that's just the kind of story that I like. But I mean, I love seeing Tobey Maguire again. That was amazing. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was what really made that movie. Anyway, um, <laughs> I do have to let you know though, since you haven't seen okay. any, of, any of the Marvel TV shows, when you see Multiverse of Madness, you're going to be a little lost. Okay. Oh, that's okay. I'll I'll fill in the gaps. Okay. The imagination. I've heard, about, I've heard I've heard that it's very connected to WandaVision. WandaVision, what if and Yeah, I think that's the only two that, that really connect to this uh yeah. Oh and Loki, of course. Yeah. But I don't have any tribal imagining that you'll be able to connect things in your own way. I mean, oh, you're yeah. just, you're, you're like yeah, a stream of yeah. consciousness. If you have trouble, yeah. I'd say, like, does he need a doctor? What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> I would be really proud of myself if I avoided the movie altogether, because frankly, I just feel like I've seen, I've just seen, I've nothing. I mean, I think that's another thing that sort of led me to my, my quote unquote, leap of faith was I was just spending way too much time watching this stuff at home, being passive. And so often I'd watch, you know, you know, special features on the DVD. My favorite special feature was always the writer's room, you know, where you see the writers and the directors and you're talking about next week's episode of 24. And I'd be sitting at home by myself, you know, shoveling one slice of pizza down my gullet after another and washing it down with sugary soft drinks. And I just want to dive into the screen and, and just feel absolutely feel that if I was in that room, if I was in that writer's room, I would have something to contribute. Mm-hmm. And so that has also been, and you know, I think most of us have this experience too when we're watching a movie or reading a book. We think, gosh, why did, why didn't they do this? Why, mm-hmm. you know, like a missed opportunity for something really funny or something a bit more dramatic or, or some little, some little twist. And so it's kind of like when you're watching a game show at home and mm-hmm. it's a really easy question and you know the answer, but the contestant doesn't like to the million dollar question. And so all of that kind of put together into a blender has motivated me to do this, to accept myself and, and, and Hey, I'm a writer. I'm a generator of content. I don't know if it's good. I don't know if I'm ever going to connect with my Alan Ladd Jr., but nothing's going to stop me from pursuing my dream. It's it and with the internet now and all the, the opportunities of like meeting nice people like yourself and being able to sort of, you know, promote myself and to promote my stories. It's, it's the effort absolutely rewards itself. And my friends and family, uh, many of whom I've reconnected with over the years, they're so proud of me. Like the emotional support that I get from them is off the charts. And so, you know, that's it. That's my story. That's a great story, too, and I love Thank it. I, I want to I, I ask you one more thing 
And, and we, we only have a few minutes left, so we're going to have to keep it a little bit short here. But I want to ask you one more thing. You have been telling us a, a lot of stories. You've been sharing a lot of storylines. You've been sharing uh, what you like about other storylines and so forth. But I'm wondering, is there that one movie, and you've identified something you really love, but is there that one movie that you were so in tune with what the writers were doing, with what the storyteller was doing, that you were saying, this is going to happen next. Yes, there it is. This is what's going to happen next. Yes, there it is. Here, it, I, it's, I knew that was going to happen over and over and over again. Can you oh, think of one God. like that? You're, you're putting me on the spot now. I'll bet, I'll bet after I'm the podcast, I think of three or four <laughs> really great examples. But I mean, I, I, you know, of course, the more pleasurable experience is when you're watching a movie like Pulp Fiction, where you, where you're surprised every five minutes. Well, true. Um, yeah. Something like Avengers Endgame, where you're giving this, this wonderful, you know, Valentine. I mean, I, Avengers Endgame, I think, Endgame, I think is one of the greatest movies ever made. Of course, it, it helps if you've seen the previous films, but if you have seen the previous films, there's just a Valentine every, for the fans, every 10 minutes in that movie. And then the end with Steve and, the spoiler warning, Steve and Peggy dancing together is, to me, is one of the greatest endings of all time. They should have called that movie The Last Dance. That's what I would have called it. But anyway, um, I feel that way about a lot of movies, I think particularly in the 90s, where sometimes you feel like the writer just read one of those screenplay writing books. Okay, here's the here's one. Okay. So there's this, there's this rule in screenplay books. I used to read screenplay books back in the day, and I read, and I just rolled my eyes every time I would read this. Like A plus B equals C. And Quentin Tarantino talks about this stuff too. He always says like, don't never read those books, because they try to distill writing down to like scientific formulas. So here's an example. At the end of act two, there has to be a twist that changes the whole dynamic of a story. And when that happens, I just thought, it's okay, I thought of something else. I am so sick and tired of the MacGuffin. Do you know what the MacGuffin is? Do you know what no. that is? The no. MacGuffin is the thing in the movie that everybody wants, the, the thing, right? Like, for example, in Spider-Man No Way Home, it's the magic box. Doctor Strange wants the magic box, and Spider-Man wants, or in The Avengers, it was the Tesseract. Or in Star Wars, it was the Death Star plans. And that they do that in the Marvel movies all the time. And it, I, my stories have, I have maybe one out of my, all of my stories that has that the thing. It's a blueprint for an engine that runs on water, <laughs> which is one of my Lee Hackman short stories. And, and I just, oh, like at, at 56, that's just one trope that I'm, that I'm sick to death of. <laughs> but yeah, but the whole, the whole, the end of act two, the, 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 the twist, the twist thing is, is, yeah. Again, it, it just becomes very formulaic. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah. it's fun. You know, people, people have to tell the stories that they want to tell. But I, I find even at my ripe old age of 56, I find that I, I'm still surprised sometimes when I'm watching, sorry, when I'm watching a movie or, or I'm reading a book. Um, very often when I'm reading a book and the hero's wife is on her way home from work, right? She's going to die. There's a bad guy waiting in her house. Mm-hmm. It's like almost every time. Yeah. Like whenever you're reading a chapter in a book where this is one day, you know, she's going to buy groceries or she's, she's off to pick up the kids or she's off to, so you know that something bad is going to happen. Mm-hmm. But that, that's okay. That, I'm not, I'm not saying that as a criticism. I'm just saying that that stuff like never surprises me. That makes sense. Hey, and I've been, quote- guilty, I've been guilty of that too as a writer. And that's another thing. When I wrote Judgment Days, you know, I, I, I said, well, Lee's married now and he has a kid. So that this book has got to end with a wife and the kid, you know, being kidnapped by the villain. And I, I didn't want to do that every time. I said, if, if, if I do it, if I do a sequel to that book, I know I'm going to wind up doing that again because, because the temptation to do that is very alluring because it works. 
You know, when you put innocent people in harm's way and they're related to the hero, it, it just, te- you know, it tends to work, but it also can get very tired too. Mm-hmm. It work either way, no doubt about that. We're, we're nearing the end of our time here, but before we part company for the day, we need to get some info about where people find your stuff. Now, 70 books, I can't imagine it's really difficult to find you, but yeah. still it would be helpful if we could get like sure. a few pointers thank on how to find you. So thank tell you people. so much. So if you go to Indigo Books, and if you search John Leister, my last name is L-E-I-S-T-E-R, you can check out my whole library. It's there. My books are also on Indigo, I'm sorry, uh, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, Apple. Now, my email is johnleister611 at hotmail.com. That's J-O-H-N-L-E-I-S-T-E-R in small case letters, 611 at hotmail.com. I would be more than happy to email anybody out there one of my books for free. Look, I want to make money doing this. I absolutely want to ring that bell of being able to say that, that it's my creativity that pays for my, my, my rent and my food. But at the end of the day, I just want to share my stories. And I love getting critical feedback from people. Excellent. And I imagine you're also on all the social media channels. That's the thing these days. Most uh, Facebook. My Facebook. Thank you. Okay. My Facebook page is John Leister. And I have a group page called Johnny's Way. And I write essays. I write what I hope are, are opt, opt, uh, optimistic and uplifting uh, essays. I'm always writing about like not watching the news. Like, hey, if you're feeling depressed, stop watching the news for 24 hours. I guarantee you, whatever's going on in your life, you're going to feel a little bit better because ignorance really is blessed. So that's another thing. I, if you want, you can cut me off at any point. I'm a recovering political news junkie. I used to watch. I used to. <laughs> I used to listen to all these conservative podcasts like the John and Ken Show and uh, Ben Shapiro and Alex Jones. I used to have four hours of Alex Jones every day it's a wonder i'm still alive and it was just all the, it's all the madness and the mayhem and the chaos of the world and and it's it's in a way it's good for as a writer you can give you ideas for stories True. but it, it causes us here, here's another thing you can walk into an elevator and you're on your way to meet your wife or your husband and have a nice have a nice lunch date and there's a screen on the elevator and it's telling you that a volcano went off somewhere in the world in some country that you've never heard of and ten thousand people are dead if, unless you possess absolutely no sensitivity, and most of us do, you're going to be affected by that. That's right. You're going to have it and react, and it's going to undermine the date that you're about to have with with your with your with your loved one. So I always tell people, for goodness sakes, just try this. You can go back. If you have to go 24 hours, go a week without watching the news, and and you just might find yourself a little bit happier, and you just find might find yourself more motivated. To, to write that book or do a podcast or do that one thing that you've been putting off. Very true. A lot of people go to their graves without ever, they do everything in life that, that they want to do except the, the most important thing. And it's usually something creative. And they're afraid to because they're, they're, they think they'll be criticized or they're not good enough. It's, our, it's, all in, it's all our inner monologue. You have to change your inner monologue. And my faith in God has changed my inner monologue 180 degrees. And if it, if it wasn't the case, then I wouldn't be a guest on your podcast right now. Cause I'd have nothing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say this has been quite educational and interesting and fun adventure. So thank you for joining us on the show, John Leister. And best of luck to you with, with, with writing the next 70 novels. I'm not sure how many you're going to write, but oh my God, you're going to have quite a collection by the time. Yeah. It's going to be great. But thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Thank, and uh, thank you, Alex. Thank you for all your usually wonderful contributions. We actually got to tie TV in this time. How about that? I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> How often do we get to do that? I mean, well, you, you and Dan do it anyway, but that's besides <laughs> We find a way. <laughs> you certainly do, thank and you, you do so it much. very, very well. You're so, you're so welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere, and hey, we'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>